Welcome to Exopolitics Today, the week in review. And we're going to be looking at the top exopolitics stories for the week beginning June 17. And there's been some significant developments. The biggest story was this letter from a Canadian MP that spills the beans about Five Eyes Nations cooperating on the reverse engineering of extraterrestrial spacecraft. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. So I'm going to be looking at my Twitter uh, feed, which gives the, all the top stories that I've been able to identify. These are the ones that I feel are the most significant as far as exopolitics is concerned. So if you, ha if you haven't subscribed to my Twitter feed, uh, I suggest that you do so because you'll, you'll get a heads up as to what is happening around the world. And with this week in review, I get to dive deep into those particular issues and kind of flesh out exactly why that is such an important story. So what uh, I began the week uh, with a panel discussion with uh, Dan Willis, Alex Collier, Leonard Denan, Tony Rodriguez, Chris O'Connor and Danny Henderson on what is happening on the UFO ET disclosure front. So that particular panel discussion gives you a teaser into what different speakers are going to be focusing on at the Galactic Spiritual Informers Connection coming up on October 20 in Orlando, Florida. So I recommend that you go to the website. It should be uh, appearing down there in the ticker, the website for the Galactic Spiritual Informers, so you can find out more about that. But it is definitely going to be a, a major UFO disclosure event. Uh, last year, there were uh, close to a 1,000 attendees. Uh, this year is going to be even bigger, according to the conference organizer, Denny, Danny Henderson. This will be my only conference appearance for 2023. So that's your opportunity. If you have any books that you want to autograph, then um, just bring them along and I'd be happy to sign those for you. So now we move on to uh, an, another uh, story. Uh, this was the full one-hour interview I did with Clayton Morris on Redacted, where we discussed the, the latest whistleblower testimonies and exopolitical exo developments. So Redacted is a very popular show. They have uh, 2 million subscribers. And Clayton Morris is a former professional newscaster, and he is very interested in the UFO extraterrestrial phenomenon. Uh, he is very impressed by the quality intelligence that is coming out or the, the revelations and disclosures that are coming out. So I was very happy to uh, be on Redacted and to present some of the information about uh, what it is that I've been covering, uh, especially concerning uh, JP, uh, he, because that's the latest uh, book I did that's just come out. So I got to talk about that uh, with Clayton uh, in the full interview. So definitely uh, you can go, the details, the references are from my Twitter feed. You can go watch that full interview that goes for an hour. And uh, I think you'll find it uh, very uh, 
interesting to see how it is a mainstream news journalist is opening up to these exopolitical issues that are coming on the scene right now. So the next story uh, was this plan for a floating city that Japanese researchers or that they have a plan that by 2030 they could accommodate 40,000 people in a global emergency in this kind of floating city that presumably would be out there um, in the Pacific Ocean and it would be able to withstand the kind of ocean uh, turmoil that you, know, you can have with hurricanes or if you had some kind of a emergency uh, in terms of your, your nation, uh, whether it's uh, flooding, tidal waves and so forth, this floating city, uh, it would be designed to deal with that. Now, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, this is a floating city that they are going to build, presumably by 2030, using conventional power sources and uh, propulsion systems to uh, to propel this city to where it needs to go or to power this city. Now, of course, between now and 2030, I think what we're going to witness over the next seven years is going to be a phenomenal release of some of the advanced anti-gravity technologies and the alternative energy systems that have been suppressed for, well, well over 70 years now. I mean, the, the 1950s was when you had anti-gravity technology being suppressed in mainstream uh, news journals. So once this technology is released, you know, we're going to quickly transition from floating cities because you can build a floating city now using current propulsion and energy systems, and that can go anywhere uh, on any of the oceans and provide a kind of safe habitat. But just imagine once you have free energy and you have anti-gravity propulsion systems, we're going to transition very quickly from floating cities to flying cities. And you know, that is going to be really incredible to witness. And I, and I fully expect that over the next 10 years, you know, up until 2030 or 2033, if you want to go a little bit further, that we are going to have all of these suppressed technologies that go back to the day of Nikola Tesla. I mean, currently there are 6,000 patent applications that are held, withheld due to national security orders. And you know, these patent applications deal with alternative health systems, alternative energy systems, and anti-gravity technology that these are immediately suppressed. They're never granted. Those patents are withheld and never granted. But once we have disclosure, then those patents are going to be granted, released, and you're going to have an incredible renaissance in terms of all of these uh, major corporations as well as garden or home uh, companies building these advanced technologies because there'll be virtually unlimited energy. And once you have unlimited energy, uh, you can build anything. So, yeah, floating cities to flying cities. I think that's going to be something we're going to witness during our lifetime. Well, here's uh, something that was very interesting uh, that came out on June 18. Uh, 
And that is a study was conducted by a New Jersey casino organization on which U.S. state would be the safest during an alien invasion. So the New York Post published it. Now, you know, the question is, um, you know, why did they do that? Let's let's just have a look at that story because I think it's quite interesting that they would go to that effort to study what cities would be the most likely to survive an alien invasion. And so there you have uh, cities such as, um, well, states such as New York, uh, and then, then you have, uh, actually, I think that was Virginia. Yeah, the state of Virginia was number one. Then number two, the state of Georgia. Then number three, uh, what is that? I'm not quite sure. I don't know my... Uh, U.S. geography all that well, you know, that could be, I don't think that's Massachusetts, maybe New Hampshire, one of those kind of uh, uh, New England states. But the criterion that they used was uh, they looked at the, the number of military bases and the number of police. And so they decided that in the event of an alien invasion, the states that had the highest ratio of police and military bases they would be the safest. So that's how they came up with with that with those criteria. Uh, so very, very interesting. Um, you have some other states here. Uh, Florida is number 13. Uh, number nine, I think that's, um, is that uh, Arkansas? So Texas is number 18. Louisiana is number five. Again, you know, highest ratio of police and military. Yeah, and you, you'll get to be one of the safe places during an alien invasion. So, you know, the question is, why did they do this study? Why in the world would a, a casino uh, organisation put together some resources to find out what state would be the most likely to survive an alien invasion? So this is the question. Is this something that's just preparing people for some kind of false flag event? Or is it just, you know, casinos are famous for betting, so is this something that, uh, you know, that people would bet on? I'm not sure, but the, my uh, my guess would be that it's more likely that this is uh, some kind of uh, psyop. A very interesting study conducted by a New Jersey uh, casino. Now, Congressman Tim Burchett, uh, sits in the House of Representatives. He's the representative uh, for the uh, one of the districts in Tennessee, um, in Knoxville, which is close to where I'm currently uh, staying. And it's very encouraging to see a congressman such as Tim Burchett uh, being so outspoken when it comes to the UFO. Uh, so in this uh, article about the interview that he did, he says that the government is covering up the Roswell UFO crash. So, you know, he's doing that because he's one of those congressmen that has been sitting in on these classified briefings involving whistleblowers who have been coming in and saying what they have learned about the cover-up, about secret reverse engineering projects concerning the recovered spacecraft. So he's been hearing these in closed-door sessions, and so 
he's coming out and he can't give any particular details because these are classified hearings. So you can't give details, but he can speak in generalities and say, yeah, the government has covered up the UFO crash in uh, since 1947. So that's uh, very, very significant, I think, that this uh, congressman is being so proactive in talking about these uh, issues. So let's uh, move on to the next uh, story. I, I want to try and get through this interview in, in under an hour, if, if possible. So we might make these weekend reviews roughly an hour, hopefully not much longer than that. Well, this was an interview I did with uh, Karina Pataki on Exopolitics Today that came out on Monday, June 19. So she was really very clear about her analysis of the religious texts and what they have to say about some of these key figures. And she focused on, on Yahweh and Yeshua and uh, the, the extraterrestrial connection with that. And, you know, she looked at the texts themselves, the religious texts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and what they have to say about what it was that Yahweh commanded the Israelites to do. And she really was very knowledgeable about those texts, about the kind of things that Yahweh commanded uh, the Israelites to do. Uh, there was a lot of ethnic cleansing, a lot of slaying of men, women, children, and even the animals of conquered peoples because they were regarded as impure. and. And so she concludes that the, the Yahweh that was guiding the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, was none other than Enlil, the sky god or the space commander of the Anunnaki fleets. And that's very significant because when we look at the origins of the Hebrew religion, it, it comes from Abraham who emigrated out of the city of Ur in Sumer. And he carried with him a lot of the religious texts and traditions. And, of course, he had his own experiences. But he would have been very familiar with Enlil, uh, the sky god, the who considered himself the supreme god of the Anunnaki. And, and he was the guy that controlled the Anunnaki space fleets. So he was the one that really could dominate all the other Anunnaki gods, uh, because Earth, during the Sumerian times, you had different cities and you had different Anunnaki gods and goddesses in charge of these different cities. So Enlil being kind of the most badass of the uh, Anunnaki, at some point decided to wipe out um, others, and so he would command his people to do that. So I think her conclusion that Yahweh is none other, none other than Enlil is correct because uh, Enlil in the Sumerian texts comes across as a bit of a psychopath. And if you look at the Old Testament, the Yahweh described in there is also kind of like, you know, described as a jealous God, a vindictive God. So, I mean, those are the qualities we would imagine of a, of a psychopath. Now, that doesn't mean that the God described in the Old Testament and the New Testament is, is a psychopathic God because, as she explains, in fact, there are two gods. You know, there, there is another one that Jesus prayed to who stands above 
uh, all the other gods. So this is this is the this is if you like the the logos, uh, the word, whatever you want to call it, that stands above uh, these beings like the Anunnaki, like Enlil. So that was uh, who she believed the this positive god that Yeshua prayed to. But definitely worth uh, listening to. Uh, that uh, is a very informative interview. So here is uh, something that I found to be very interesting. Uh, Nick Pope, uh, a former who worked the UFO desk uh, in the British Ministry of Defence uh, for I think it was four years or three years, something like that. I believe it was in the 1980s, quite a long time ago. But nevertheless, I mean, he got to be uh, quite famous, quite a celebrity because he was the guy running the UFO desk for the Ministry of Defence and was given permission to talk about it, uh, which is interesting when you think about it. Who who else has served in that position and how come they haven't been out in the public arena talking? So Nick Pope has been given the kind of thumbs up to talk about this, and I, I suspect that's because the Ministry of Defence and um, MI6, MI5, uh, GCHQ, they're quite happy with uh, Nick Pope putting out a particular narrative. So this is interesting. He, the narrative he uh, is putting out, uh, it's, it's typically about evil aliens uh, doing terrible things. And so he's someone that supports the aliens or the UFOs or a national security threat. He's been behind that for a long time. And he, he's, uh, his analysis is that right now in the United States, there's a power struggle being fought to expose alien life. You know, you've got the white hats that want to expose things and you've got the black hats that want to hold things back. And so he, for example, thinks uh, David uh, Grush, uh, who we talked about uh, in my last week in review at, at length, that uh, he is one of these whistleblowers. And apparently there's uh, quite a number of them that have been coming forward to talk about these uh, issues. And so David Grush, uh, he is someone that Pope believes is part of this kind of white hat initiative to get the truth out. And there are others that you know want to stop, stop all that. Now, of course, others believe that David Grush is actually uh, someone that's putting out the alien, per uh, perpetuating the alien threat scenario. So in that sense, uh, we we can say that well you know there's kind of different shades of grey here that that are in operation that uh, I, I wouldn't say he's completely a white hat because he does believe that the UAPs are a national security threat and anyone who has studied this issue for any number of years is going to eventually conclude uh, that UFOs or extraterrestrial spacecraft are not a national security threat at all. Um, it is a reverse engineered craft and the different factions running the uh, special access programs and the secret space programs. You know, this is where you, you have the main threat. So uh, Nick Pope, uh, I, think, I think there's truth in him identifying a kind of power struggle, but maybe there's, there's more shades than just you know, black and white here. So... Now we look at uh, China is establishing a rival international space alliance to the US-based Artemis Accords. So this, this story uh, 
that was uh, covered in Space News talks about how China is attracting different moon-based uh, partners. So several years ago, China, along with uh, Russia, this was before the Ukraine invasion, uh, China and Russia announced a lunar research station that they would be uh, joint founders of, that they would be cooperating in. Uh, but there haven't been many other nations that si have signed on. And, and because uh, Russia's undergoing international sanctions, because of its invasion of Ukraine, uh, China has been trying to get other nations to come in. And so, so far, the, the nations that are part of this uh, Lunar Research Station initiative are Russia, Pakistan, the United Arab Emirates and the Asia Pacific Space Cooperation Organization. Now, none of those are major space players, apart from Russia, of course. And you know, so why why is that important? Why does China want to create a rival space alliance to the Artemis Accords, which are uh, a set of bilateral agreements that the United States has with, I think it, now it's twenty five or twenty six nations that have signed on to the Artemis Accords. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the most recent signatory, which is quite a major um, addition. So, so why is China trying to do this? Well, if you've been following uh, my research, you'll know that in, in the middle of, uh, in the fall of 2021, uh, there were the uh, Jupiter Accords that were signed. And, and Elena Danan described those Jupiter Accords uh, that were ratified at this space station floating above the atmosphere of Jupiter. That was actually confirmed by Courtney Brown and the Farsight Institute. So, so that part of uh, Elena Danan's testimony was corroborated independently by the Farsight Institute. So there were these meetings on this space station run by the Ashtar Command and there were 14 major, 14 spacefaring nations that set delegations there, uh, predominantly military delegates, but also their, their national space program delegates, as well as major corporations such as uh, Elon Musk uh, with SpaceX, Jeff Bezos with um, uh, Blue Origin, uh, and Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic, and uh, uh, Big Doug Bigelow with uh, Bigelow Aerospace. So you had corporations, you had national space programs, you had military institutions uh, like U.S. Space Command that were there, that were represented. And once the Galactic Federation of Worlds, the Andromeda Council, the Ashtar Command, and this Council of Five kind of like interviewed the different delegates, the different delegates, they, they decided that the United States Space Command was the natural leader of Earth because it was very clear as far as the extraterrestrials were concerned that Earth had to speak with one voice and to do that there had to be one delegation or one representative that would be the point person uh, for these different extraterrestrial civilizations which makes a lot of sense. I mean why would they go to squabbling, to squabbling nations if there were a burning issue, you know, like, for example, you know, the Draco reptilian, uh, uh, reptilians are going to send a space fleet back into your solar system. What are you going to do about it? 
and you know, the different nations were squabbling over who's going to do what, and you know, nothing gets done. But if you have one nation like Space Command, uh, United States Space Command, being in the lead, and that's recognised and supported by the different extraterrestrials, then you can have a lot of coll collaboration and coordination to offset whatever threat lies ahead for our solar system and planet Earth. So that's why they chose that. Now, it eventually came down to these six nations that would form an executive council, and uh, these were the five permanent UN Security Council members, uh, the United States, Russia, China, Britain, France, and a sixth nation, which we guessed was Japan, uh, because that has, aside from the other five nations, it's, it has also had the longest-running uh, space program. So the, the, the decision that was taken after the Galactic Federation surveyed all of these nations was that the United States Space Command would be the, would be the leader for the time being. And Russia and China left that meeting. They were very unhappy with that. They were hoping for a different outcome. So this gives you a little bit of background as to why China and Russia are wanting to set up a rival space alliance to the United States. Because the reasoning is, if they attract a sufficient number of major nations, then eventually the Galactic Federation and the Andromeda Council will say, well, US Space Command... Uh, the U.S., you know, you don't have as much support around your planet as this uh, rival alliance headed by China and Russia. So we're going to make China the point man. That, and so that's what the Chinese want. I mean, that's, that's what their goal is. So, And the Chinese operate in the long term. So they understand it's going to take some time to do this, whether it's going to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But their ultimate goal, China... China's ultimate goal is to become the dominant space power on Earth and eventually to be recognised by galactic civilizations as the lead nation for coordinating the space activities of all the major nations on Earth. So that's China's game plan here. And so this is what their lunar research station um, is, is doing and why China is launching major diplomatic initiatives such as forging a peace agreement between the Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, and they're now trying to resolve the, the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. So China is putting a lot of resources into international diplomacy because it wants to build up its allies because it understands that eventually there's great benefits in, in China becoming viewed as the, the, the most trustworthy nation on planet Earth by major allies. And, and the U.S., uh, is, is currently losing a lot of support. But nevertheless, there is a long way to go before China supplants the United States. So uh, let's go to the next story. Okay, so this is the letter. This is the top story. Um, and and this, this is a letter from Larry Maguire, a Canadian Member of Parliament, to Canada's Defence Minister saying that recovered UAP or UFO material is being studied uh, by a Five Eyes Technology Working Group. So this is the this story, and let me uh, open up this image for you. So hopefully you can read it as I discuss it. So here we go. All right. So so this is the story, and here you have. 
the letter to the Minister of Defence, uh, Minister of Minister Anand, and Larry Maguire said that he has had attended or been told about meetings that various officials from the US Senate have sat through where they've been briefed on the recovery and exploitation of material from uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. So this is uh, the whistleblowers that have been going to Congress, to the Senate Committee on Intelligence, reporting on uh, these recovered spacecraft and that they have been studied in various corporations that are trying to reverse engineer these. So his, uh, Larry Maguire's big concern was that he was concerned that AUKUS, that is an alliance between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States, which is a defence alliance primarily aimed at countering the influence of China in, in the Pacific. And uh, he's very concerned that uh, those three nations, that they have been cooperating at the highest level uh, as far as studying and conducting analysis of these recovered spacecraft. And, and so this, this is, uh, for me, as an Australian, it, it shows how Australia has undergone a remarkable transition. So now it's actually working at the, at the top tier uh, with countries like the United Kingdom and the United States when it comes to the reverse engineering of extraterrestrial spacecraft. Well, you know, why is that? I think there are a number of reasons. Uh, probably the, the most important is that uh, uh, Australia, just as it was during the Second World War, considered to be a, a kind of major bastion against Japanese expansion in this kind of Asia-Pacific region. Uh, similarly, Australia is considered to be the, the major bastion against uh, Chinese expansion in the Asia-Pacific region. So I think that's why Australia was kind of green-lighted to be part of this uh, joint intelligence and defence sharing uh, between Australia and the United Kingdom when it comes to um, nuclear technology. And so there was a deal that was struck about a year ago where Australia and uh, the US and, and the UK uh, agreed that Australia would now be building nuclear-powered submarines, Virginia-class submarines. And that uh, the French were very unhappy about that. Uh, the Chinese also were very unhappy about that. But but I don't think that was really what was going on. That's the cover story. I think what was behind that was that it was agreed that Australia would now be read in um, to at the at the highest level with all of the secrets concerning reverse engineering extraterrestrial spacecraft uh, that the United Kingdom and the U.S. have. Uh, for many decades now, been jointly cooperating on. And other Five Eyes nations like uh, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand have been kind of sharing intelligence. But the big boys, when it came to dominating, you know, what was happening in those reverse engineering projects were always the United Kingdom and the US. Well, now Australia has been elevated to that top tier. And the Canadians were very concerned, Larry McGough was very concerned, that because Australia, Canada, so Australia, the United Kingdom, and the US are now sharing all of the data on UAPs, and they're coordinating to make official announcements. That essentially, he's saying 
that those three countries are going to be making official announcements soon to the publics, to their respective publics, saying that uh, recovered spacecraft do exist, they are being studied, these are extraterrestrial, and that they are releasing the truth to, to, to the world. So that is what is, is going on now. And, and so this is, this is what the Canadians are very concerned about, that if you have Australia, the United Kingdom and the US announcing this, then you're not going to have uh, Canada looking very good um, when this comes out. So he's telling the Canadian government, you know, they really need to get their act together and start disclosing the truth. Now, one of the things that's very interesting here is that he refers to this uh, organization uh, within the Five Eyes Nations called the Five Eyes Foreign Material Program, which is studying all of this. And, and this was very interesting, um, that this is an organization that is sharing data about UAPs, UFOs, sharing that data among the five I, the five I nations. So Larry Maguire's uh, letter is is very very significant, and so um, that's that's something that uh, a lot of people have been have been discussing. And I did a follow up tweet which gives you a little bit more information about this Five Eyes material program, which which is quite quite interesting. Uh, it is uh, telling us that this is a data sharing organization involving those uh, five uh, English-speaking nations that make up the five eyes, and they're sharing intelligence uh, such as human intelligence, geospatial intelligence, signals intelligence concerning UAPs. So that's that's quite something. So that is the uh, Five Eyes Foreign Material Program that is uh, being studied or that is that is studying a UOP reports and uh, gathering intel on that. So quite a development. So that was the uh, Larry Maguire letter. Here's a news report that I tweeted about the Five Eyes Nations having their first meeting to discuss UAPs and UFOs at the Pentagon which was reported at a NASA meeting by the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office Director, Sean Kirkpatrick. So here's this particular story. So this was a story that confirmed that you, you did have this kind of like Five Eyes Foreign Material Program meeting and that this was actually discussed at a NASA meeting concerning uh, UFOs. So it's official that now you have the Five Eyes Nations conducting research into UAP. So that, that means, if you think about it, in the United States, you, you have three different investigations of UAPs. You know, one is being run by the Pentagon. Uh, one, one is being run by the Pentagon. Uh, which is the Arrow Initiative. One is run by NASA, which is uh, where they have 24 uh, civilian scientists sitting on a board to discuss 
and analyze UAP reports. And the third is a interagency uh, initiative being headed by the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, for the Biden administration. So the Biden administration has a th is running a third UAP investigation. So now we've learned from this Larry Maguire and his revelation that there's a fourth UAP investigation that's underway and that is being conducted by the Five Eyes Nations. So the Five Eyes Nations are pulling their, their resources and that they are studying UAP reports. So, so really, with this particular story, we can say that there are four independent UAP investigations uh, that involve the United States, and one of those involves the Five Eyes Nations. So quite a development there. Okay, so on uh, June 21st, that was, I believe, uh, Wednesday night, I was on the edition, on uh, an edition of uh, Redacted, where I discussed uh, Larry Maguire's letter on UAPs. And uh, so let's, well, it has just emerged. Let's play a little bit of that for you. Larry Maguire. In this letter, Maguire reveals that the Canadians, along with the other Five Eyes Alliance, the US, New Zealand, Australia, and the UK, have UFOs or UAPs from other worlds, off-world vehicles, and they are actively reverse engineering these craft and then, of course, covering it up. Uh, okay, so that, so that was the redacted story, and you know, that really does go into detail into what the significance is of this Five Eyes initiative to study uh, UAP. So uh, very important breakthrough because uh, the Five Eyes Nations naturally are going to be pulling together a lot more data than just one nation. So, you know, if, if the United States has three UAP investigations going, when you have the Five Eyes Nations pulling their resources, you've got five English-speaking nations all pulling together everything that they know about UAP reports and, of course, um, whatever... Uh, whatever is cleared for the um, you know, various UFO investigations to know about. Well, here in this particular development, uh, I did an interview with Pom uh, Carpentier, who is a longtime international relations scholar who is based in New Delhi, India. And so he's very knowledgeable about ancient Indian history and the history of uh, Eurasia. He travels uh, that world extensively. And so in, in our interview, we went into a lot of depth about uh, the Vimanas, about uh, the various types of craft, who built them in India, in, in Vedic India, uh, what, what is known in um, uh, the Indian... In, in that particular Com uh, Carpentier, how he was saying that uh, India is still kind of like um, behind the eight ball when it comes to research on these particular topics. As far as he knows, uh, India 
is uh, not conducting uh, any kind of equivalent reverse engineering programs of recovered extraterrestrial spacecraft that you see in the United States. So he think, and Indian scientists are very skeptical. Now, of course, you know, that might just be because the Indian program is uh, better hidden. Uh, but yeah, I think his guess is that, uh, that they're still kind of catching up. But nevertheless, India does have a space program. And as we will soon see, that's very significant when it comes to, to the Artemis Accords. Uh, so, yeah, India's a space program, uh, definitely something that uh, is very important given the extensive history India has. And, and one of the things that I've, I find particularly interesting about India, and the same goes for China, is that both are very uh, – uh, their history goes back into antiquity, and both India and China – have ancient spacecraft that were mentioned in their historical texts. So I think what you will find is that many of their, many of these spacecraft, you know, weren't just described in historical texts. That some of them are still there, that they still exist. And so you know, whether it's a matter of time before they activate, whether our Indians are already finding and beginning the study and reverse engineering of these craft, uh, we, we're not sure yet. Carpentier. Uh, uh, wasn't kind of very knowledgeable about that particular uh, development, but he but he certainly knew a lot about the the ancient uh, texts and and what they had to say about these advanced technologies. So the next story I want to cover is an astounding revelation by Dave Rossi, uh, who's working with some breakthrough energy scientists, and he made a statement after being questioned about some of the things that have been going on in the uh, UFO community in terms of public smearing of, of, uh, of Elena Danan and a few others that are working with Elena. And he said something that was very significant. So uh, what I want to say about Dave Rossi is that he is someone that uh, is working with uh, some of the leading breakthrough technology scientists on, on the planet. And he was given that kind of level of access because he, about uh, you know, two years ago, he was having contacts with extraterrestrials. And he very quickly transformed from a, a plumber who you know, had a very basic understanding of mathematics and physics to someone who had all of those kind of abilities are activated to the highest degree. All of a sudden, he's understanding and writing complex mathematical formula to explain various uh, problems or solutions to problems and to explain how breakthrough technologies can work. So this came to the attention of some of the leading breakthrough technology scientists in the world, and they were amazed at what they were seeing that this, you know, uneducated individual plumber who, after having extraterrestrial contacts, was suddenly having all of these brilliant theories and could understand complex formula that could be used to solve some of the intricacies of these breakthrough technologies. So what Dave did was he showed me some of the correspondence he had with these 
individuals, with these scientists, and I was able to confirm that, yes, he is having top-level conversations with some of the leading breakthrough technology scientists on the earth, or at least in the United States, and they are paying attention to what he's saying. So that confirms that he is familiar with some of the information that is cir circulating amongst that community. Now, that uh, community of breakthrough, uh, breakthrough technologies, uh, that's a kind of like select group of individuals that are, are read into various degrees into classified programs, but they come together and discuss issues uh, in in a way where they can kind of like not reveal too much about their classified program, but share enough with others so that they can collaborate and solve problems. So that's so he's getting some important data from them about what's going on in UAPs. So this takes me to the tweet that I uh, want to discuss with you, and that is uh, here's the tweet where I talk about a, an interview he did with uh, Danny Henderson. So what I want to do is play this interview for you so you can hear him address this question of what role the Aerospace Corporation is playing, not only in the surveillance of Elena Danan, but also in a public smear campaign to discredit her. So let's play that. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> now let's go to the Air Force Department that you mentioned. You mentioned that they are in particular surveilling Elena Tanan, Dr. Michael Sala, and Shaw Chris O'Connor, who's also brought uh, space technology here in the form of the Dean's device, which is a free energy device that actually helps to promote the piezoelectricity in our pineal gland, which is one of the worst things. The powers that think they are are trying to prevent us, the human, from really recognizing what incredible organic technology we truly are, the power that we truly have embodied in this vessel that we inhabit right now. Can you tell me any of the Air Force departments that are particularly following and observing Elena Tanan? Specifically, what I can tell you is that there is, in terms of a department or, dare I say, a sub-department, um, one thing I can tell you is that the this is the first time I'm actually saying this publicly. There would be elements out of what we know at the Aerospace Corporation that would be specifically surveilling certain individuals. And I don't want to, unfortunately, uh, forgive me, at least publicly on the record, I don't want to get into specific detail as to the intricacies of how such operates. But what I can tell you is that there are certainly people that consider it the job to surveil uh, Ms. Danan amongst others uh, for many hours a day and weaponize and utilize stigma in an attempt to discredit her and others as well. Right. I get so that's quite something right there that uh, the Aerospace Corporation is spending many hours and resources to not only survey, uh, to conduct surveillance on Elena Danan, but to also uh, put a lot of stigma, attached stigma to against her. Now, why would they be doing that? I think the answer is pretty clear. It's because she is the real deal. She is having exactly the context that she describes. And the level of public attacks that she has been receiving are off the charts. And these attacks, some of them are part of this coordinated smear uh, 
campaign being conducted by Black Hats, by the Deep State, and the Aerospace Corporation is a leading player in that. So quite uh, an astounding revelation by Dave Rossi. So I want to thank him for that. And, of course, thanks to Danny Henderson for interviewing him and getting him to state that. Oops, I think I went ahead of myself there. Okay, so Dave Rossi, let's go. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, now, RV Loeb's science expedition to the Pacific Ocean near Papua New Guinea has found these tiny spherules. Uh, these are tiny sphere-shaped debris that are less than a quarter of a millimetre. Uh, in diameter. So they're very tiny, but he's come up with an intricate system for being able to retrieve that. His hypothesis is that this is an interstellar object, and he believes it's an artificial object. In other words, he's look, he's searching for evidence of um, extraterrestrial life that built this craft that came into our solar system and crashed into Earth near Papua New Guinea and exploded and what he's been able to recover are these spherules. And uh, so far, he's been able to determine that these are an alloy that are very unusual. So that is uh, what he has been able to discover so far in this expedition. And I, I think this is part of a, a kind of slow process of acclimating people to the idea of extraterrestrial life, saying that, well, Avi Loeb, uh, his science expedition has been able to find evidence of some artificial craft uh, exploding and then crashing into the Pacific Ocean there. And I think this is just part of the uh, acclimation process that Avi Loeb is, is playing this role. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's got a great reputation as the former chair of Harvard University's uh, astronomy uh, department. And uh, definitely it's a, a, a kind of like a, a very slow process. Uh, I, I think there's a, you know, for those within academia, within public institutions that have been asleep to the whole issue of extraterrestrial life and the cover-up, you know, what Avi Loeb is doing um, is is helping them open, open their eyes and, and to start looking at the data but for those of us that are familiar with this uh, information that's you know it's a very, it's it's not very it's not very profound certainly okay so we're getting close to the end of this so one day to go so uh, this is going to air saturday morning so later today uh, i will be holding my next webinar on super soldiers and ascended masters so i'm going to be looking at the literature concerning super soldiers. You know, what are super soldiers? Uh, what types of super, super soldiers are there? How are they trained? Uh, what is done to them? And then I'm going to be looking at the literature concerning ascended masters. Who are ascended masters? What are they? How do they figure into this whole big picture concerning extra, extraterrestrial life and technologies, secret space programs, super soldiers, how do these ascended masters fit into all of that? So in this webinar, I'm going to kind of lay out all of the data, all the literature that I've been able to research and put together a coherent framework for you understanding 
the different types of super soldiers that are out there, how the super soldiers are trained, and, and what kind of ascended masters exist. And, and what do they do? How do they factor into this whole big picture, uh, which is very complex? So um, later today, great way to support my exopolitics research. Those that join the webinars, you do support my research. I want to thank you very much for doing that because all my articles, all my podcasts, they, they are all for free. And so the webinars are one of the primary ways that you can support me. So thank you for those that, that do register for those webinars. Okay, and uh, let's see what else. I think there was one other story I wanted to cover, and that's this one. Just learned that India has just signed the Artemis Accords with the United States. So that's very significant because, as I said, uh, China and Russia wanted to set up a rival organization to the United States so that over time they would be perceived by extraterrestrials as, as having a more representative, uh, a more equitable organization that could represent the Earth in space. And, and, I, and I think what this ratification, or the, what, what India joining the Artemis Accords does is that it shows that uh, the United States is still considered very highly uh, by major nations. So this is where we need to kind of like pause a little bit and understand, you know, exactly who does India recognize as re as a responsible kind of party here? I, the Biden administration, I mean, they've been doing a lot of things that, let's just say, are not very impressive on the international stage, certainly not the sort of thing that would inspire great confidence. But when it comes to NASA and its cooperation with the U.S. Space Force and U.S. Space Command, that's when you have a lot of nations recognising uh, that the U.S. is the undisputed leader and, and represents or, or is at least the point nation for representing the Earth in all relationships with extraterrestrial civilizations. That of all the nations of Earth, the one nation that has the most trust when it comes to representing Earth's interests in face-to-face -face dialogues with extraterrestrial civilizations is the United States Space Force and Space Command. And that's separate to the Biden administration. So India signing the Artemis Accords, I think that's a big thumbs up that they feel that NASA, Space Force and Space Command are doing a good job in space. Um, and by no means is an acknowledgement of the Biden administration, which, um, you yeah. People can have very different opinions on and I don't want to get into, but but definitely uh, this is a very major thing. India is uh, the world's most populous nation now. It, it Earlier this year, it surpassed China in terms of overall population. And whereas China's population is a very old population because of their one child policy, uh, India's population is very young. So China's population over the next 10, 20 years is going to decrease. Uh, whereas India's will continue to increase. So it's going to become a much more important uh, player in the international scene. So, so that's it as far as uh, my uh, stories, uh, the week in review uh, that uh, from starting from June 17. I want to thank you for being a part of this, uh, listening 
And don't forget to hit and like and subscribe to my YouTube channel or Rumble or BitChute, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, really important to kind of like uh, get the word out there, send uh, this out to people that you think would benefit from hearing this kind of roundup because you're not going to get this on the mainstream news. And I, and I think the exopolitics field is something that is important enough now that uh, we cover it closely uh, in terms of week-to-week developments and, and how they relate to the big picture. So thank you again for tuning in and aloha. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.